0: get to a point where all shall see you only always living in us amen so um, church and, and guests we have been working our way through this tremendous series on identity what makes us who we are And what does it actually mean that our identity is found in Christ? Who does God say that we are? And one of the first things that we explored in this series was the reality that in Christ we are set free. Can we say that this morning? I am set free. I am am set set free. free. Oh, this is my favorite part. The next thing that we learned was that God loves each one of us intimately. And he knows us intimately. He knows the things about us that we don't even know. And he knows the things about us that we don't like to think about. And he chooses to love us anyway. He knows us and he loves us. Can we say that? I am known and I am loved. Known and I am loved. Amen. And out of that deep love from the Lord, we flowed into our next message that we are never alone and that we are never abandoned. I am not alone and I am not abandoned. Can we say that? I am not alone and I am never abandoned. And finally, last week, the Lord reminded us that in him, And because of Jesus Christ and our deposited inheritance through the Holy Spirit, we are heirs of God's glorious kingdom and all that comes with it. Even in this lifetime. I am an heir. Can we say that? I am an heir. That is a heavy, beautiful statement. And this morning... We're going to start to to dig into the reality that in our inheritance is the reality that each and every one of us has been chosen by God for a purpose. We are chosen by God for a purpose. And so in order to dig into that, we're actually going to go back to the story where we launched this whole series. We're headed back into the book of Judges to look a little bit more into the call that God placed on the life of a very ordinary man named Gideon. Now, if you were here several weeks ago, when Pastor Dave launched this series, you've heard this text. Um, But Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and it's active. And it always has something new to teach us. And so I believe that the Lord has more for us from this text. And so We're going to read from Judges chapter 6, and we're going to read the first 24 verses. So we're starting on page 378. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And they did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out, to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors." I drove them out before you and I gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite. For his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, and he has given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring you my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread. Place them both on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. And fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that the angel that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abyss Rites. This is the word of the Lord. So um, many of you know that before I went to seminary, I was a high school English teacher. Feels like a lifetime ago. Um, I taught 10th and 12th grade English literature and writing. And one of my favorite assignments to give my students was to have them write their own obituary. You know those couple paragraph long things that appear um, on the funeral home websites now? They used to show up in the newspaper. Two paragraphs that would summarize a person's entire lifetime. The two paragraphs that displayed who this person had been, who they were connected to, and how they had impacted the world around them. Most obituaries follow a really cut and dry format. So and so was born here on this date and they went to these schools, they had relationships with these people, they had these hobbies, they worked here, they served in this capacity, and this is who will miss them. It's a lot of details, but it's not nearly enough to summarize the full lifetimes that are squeezed into just a few words. But the question that every obituary fundamentally asks is this. What was this person's purpose on this earth? Were they a loving spouse or a grandparent? Were they a best friend or a sister? Did they volunteer for a certain charity? How did they impact their community? What did they leave behind? What was their purpose? This is the question that my students would come to as they began to think through what would be written about them after they were gone. What things did they hope to accomplish? What relationships did they hope to invest in? And what purpose did they want to be remembered for having served? Now, for most 16 or 17-year-olds, this was a really awful Assignment. It was really hard for them to think past today. To think into the bigger picture of their lives. And I'd venture to guess that this would be a hard assignment for many of us, no matter how old we are. It's an assignment that I don't think our brother Gideon would have appreciated very much either in our text for this morning. Here we find Gideon and the people of Israel deeply struggling to remember who they are as God's chosen people. Only a couple hundred years ago, the Lord had delivered his people into the promised land, into this paradise of their inheritance. He would commanded them to take the land, to purge it of all evil and all those who were bound to evil. He'd commanded them to live within the confines of this astounding covenant that he promised them. I will be your God, and you get to live as my people. And God had made clear to these people in Deuteronomy 28 that if they kept this covenant, this relationship, they would be blessed beyond measure. They would have the favor of the world, and they would be able to impact the world with the goodness of God. But if they failed to keep the covenant, they would be cursed. Their crops would suffer and the land would decay. Their families would not prosper and they would be the laughingstock of their enemies. And because Israel had not kept the covenant, because they had not purged the land of evil, because they had not taken hold of their full inheritance, Midian had come to oppress God's covenant people for seven years. Now, ironically... Midian was a nation that God had commanded Israel to remove. They were a people that Israel had actually defeated in Numbers 31. It's recorded. But it's a nation that Israel had not completely destroyed as God had told them to. And now Midian had grown large and strong and had swarmed across Israel. They'd stolen livestock. They'd stolen crops. They'd stolen authority. And inherently, they had stolen the purpose of Israel. Israel's literally scattered In their own land, they're hiding in caves and strongholds and clefts of rocks, fighting just to stay alive as Midian and their camels spread across the land with chaos and with violence. And here we find Gideon hiding in a wine press, attempting to thresh some wheat so that his family can eat. Now, threshing means to separate the food kernels of the wheat plant from the fibers that hold it together. It's called the chaff. And this is typically done in an open space. It's often done high up on a hill where there's a breeze. High in an open place, the wind would blow away the light chaff and leave the edible kernels behind. But Gideon can't go to the hills. He can't be in an open space. He's in a wine press, which is a sunken down place. It's almost like a cave. It's a place where grapes would be crushed to make wine. And it's dark because it would protect the grapes and the new wine from the heat of the sun that would spoil it. It's a place where heavy stones would roll over grapes to crush out their juice. And like those grapes, Gideon, And the children of Israel are being pushed into hiding. Stuck in the darkness. And they're being crushed. Gideon knows it. How Gideon views himself and his purpose on this earth becomes clear when the angel of God comes to Gideon and tells him that the Lord is with him. And then calls him a mighty warrior. Or as some translations say, a mighty man of valor. And Gideon is dumbstruck. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't say that this God who supposedly delivered us out of Egypt is with me when my nation is literally being picked off and starved and he is doing nothing about it. And don't call me a warrior. You've got the wrong guy there. I am from the weakest family, and of that family, I am at the bottom of the totem pole. I'm not a warrior. It's not my purpose. I stay alive. I hide in this wine press, and I try to save some food. Nothing more, and nothing less. The angel of God who called Gideon out of that wine press didn't ask Gideon what his purpose was. But I think if he had, Gideon would have really struggled to answer. And I think eventually he would have said something to the effect of this. My purpose is to stay alive. And my purpose is to do what has to be done. Gideon has no concept that as a covenant child of God, as a son of Israel, his purpose lies within the bigger picture of God's purposes for the whole world. That he'd set Israel aside to reflect his love and his goodness so that the whole world would one day know him. Gideon has no concept that his people were still chosen and that they were still set apart. And Gideon has no concept that even he could be chosen to serve a role and a purpose within the scheme of God's grander purposes. Gideon would not say, I'm an Israelite. I'm God's hope to the world. He would say that his purpose was to stay alive, to get by, and to do what has to be done. How many of us get stuck here? Living just to keep going. Getting through every day doing what has to be done. Nothing more, nothing less. Sometimes just getting through to tomorrow takes every ounce of energy that we've got. There's bills to pay. There's mouths to feed. We have to go to work. There's papers to write and deadlines to meet. We have to sit down and we have to get it done. There's diapers to change and tears to be wiped. And we have to help. We have to give care. There's appointments to make and really hard things to wrestle through, but we just have to keep going houses to clean and meals to make places to go people to see beds to make laundry to fold my purpose is to get through today my purpose is to do what has to be done and like gideon many of us would struggle to articulate on any given day exactly what purpose we might serve other than to just keep going for some of us we've never even really considered that there might be more or different we might not know that god could have a specific purpose for us to begin with and for others of us like gideon we struggle to see god's goodness in our day-to-day life life has been really painful and hard and so we struggle to believe that this god is good to begin with and then it's even more impossible to fathom that he potentially has chosen us for good purposes and for others of us our concept of god's higher purpose for us as his chosen people is completely lost in a sea of needs and demands the pressing needs of work and home, the busyness, the schedules, the hardships, the chaos, that time to discern and to pray into and to live into our specific role within God's greater purposes is no existent. It's non-existent. There's no time in the madness to see above these waves that just keep crashing. And for still others, we have a specific sense of what God is choosing us for. But it doesn't seem to be happening. It feels impossible, entirely out of reach, and 50 miles down the road. And in all of these cases, it's easier to just keep living in response to the hardships of the day. To get caught up in what we think our purposes are for today, instead of asking the Lord about pursuing what his purposes are for today, for tomorrow, and for the future. We don't think through a prey into how we are to live into his purposes today, even in the mundane, and how he might be calling us, choosing us, preparing us for very specific purposes in the future. And instead, we hive in caves and clefts, under rocks, just trying to get by. But God didn't leave Israel in those caves under the hand of Midian. He didn't leave Gideon crushed, and hiding, getting scraps of wheat out of a wine press. God sent an angel, his angel, to Gideon to give him a new name. Gideon was no longer the wheat thresher, the survivor. He was Gideon, God's chosen mighty man of valor. The man who would go on to conquer Midian By leading just a few chosen men into battle with shouts of praise, jars, torches, and a trumpet, took down an entire nation. Gideon would usher in a new season of safety and prosperity and would rule over Israel until the day he died. He would give Israel yet another opportunity to live into the covenant that God had promised them. He would give them another chance to see what it meant that God was their God and that they were his people. He would give them another chance to be God's hope to the world. Gideon's new name was intrinsically connected to his purpose. And at that purpose was the very core of his identity. See, Gideon was chosen for God's eternal big picture purpose but he was also given a very specific role to play on a very specific day. There was an all-day, every-day God's big-picture purpose for Israel and for Gideon, and there was a very specific, for such a time as this purpose. And all of it's tied together into God's good plans for each one. And this isn't the first time that we see God operating this way. The father of all of Israel... Abraham, do you remember him? He began his life as a man named Abram, a man or a name that meant high father, until God changed his name to Abraham, which meant father of nations. And poor Abraham walked this earth for many years, asking to be the father of nations, to be named Abraham, long before the Lord provided him children and long after this was even possible. And yet the children of Israel was born out of this man. And later on, Abraham's grandson began his life as Jacob, a name that implies deception and uppercutting, manipulation and power grabbing. It's a fitting name for a man who literally stole his father's inheritance from his older brother. And the Lord changed Jacob to Israel, meaning the Lord contends, something that God has continued to do with Israel for centuries. And long after Gideon, Jesus himself addressed a man named Simon and changed his name to Peter, meaning rock. Peter, you are now the rock on which I will build my church. And here we are standing in a church on Sunday morning talking about Peter. The Lord fulfilled his purpose. In his word, the Lord calls us a multitude of things. And all the names that he calls us imply purpose. He calls us beloved for the purpose of being an intimate and loving union with him and with each other. He calls us a royal priesthood for the purpose of serving as a mediator between himself and the world, to be a representative of his kingdom here on earth. He calls us saints for the purpose of reflecting his holy goodness and righteousness, He calls us sons and daughters for the purpose of living in fullness with him and in right relationship with one another. He calls us the light of the world for the purpose of bringing his love and his truth to drive out the darkness of this world. These are purposes that we can live into every single day. They're purposes that have impact on the whole body of Christ, and they are designed to have a ripple effect on the whole world. And they are purposes that the Lord might clarify, specify, and even intensify in different seasons. I was recently on a walk with one of our worship leaders, Marissa. Where is Marissa? Um, And Marissa shared with me, That the Lord in the past had given her a very specific name that had to do with calling and that the Lord was continuing to refine that for her and define it. And so I'm going to invite Marissa to come up and to share what the Lord has been showing her.
1: Well, if this sermon doesn't define my life, that's kind of where I've been the past a little bit. Um, and so uh growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, always loved the Lord and desired to seek Him, but was always like, oh, well, this is great serving in all these capacities and loving kids and youth and prayer ministry and uh, sharing the gospel with different people, but never had like the specific like, okay, Marissa, this is your long-term call and purpose. Until this past winter, I was in India with the mission school. We have some mission school students here with us today. Um, but this past winter I was in india and I asked the lord before going to india lord Why are you calling me to india this year? Um, he said I want you to be an evangelist and I was like, oh, this is exciting You know lord, I love telling people about jesus and I would love to have this opportunity in india And so the lord did above and beyond in india doing that But it was like a week or two into india where he's like marissa I'm not just calling you to be an evangelist in India, but I'm calling you to be an evangelist. And I was like, wow, Lord, this is exciting. Like now I can serve with purpose for you and for your kingdom and try to align the things that I do with that mission and purpose rather than just serving in all these different capacities. Um, and then this week I was talking with Pastor Lisa. I was like, this week the Lord has affirmed that call because uh, evangelist is a call that not many people know about. So the very first question is like, "Oh, that's nice. So what are you going to do with that?" And you're like, I was like, "Well, I don't really know, but the Lord will lead me in different ways." And so it's kind of been like this unknown in a sense. But just this past week, the Lord ah, so many things I could share. Um, But to preface all of this, Pastor Dave, when I was talking with the pastors earlier after I received this call to be an evangelist, uh, I was saying, oh yeah, and I'm going to go to school full time and I'm going to work full time. And then he's just like, well, Marissa, how are you going to grow in your gifts? I'm like, so I was just going through the motions of life, it seemed like, for a while, because I didn't really have this affirmed purpose, and so I decided this year to go part-time work and full-time school, and now I have more time in my schedule, and the Lord has opened the door to be an evangelist in a variety of ways already this week, and through prayer walking, we're able to share a Bible with someone who's Hindu in our neighborhood who we've gotten to know, and was like, wow, what a gift. We're praying with people, and all of a sudden, this other person walks around the corner that I know and is in this real distant place of the Lord and was able to speak truth and just be like, you know what? God loves you. God created you for a purpose and it's your choice if you're going to follow him or not because this person just like knows all the truth but then just prayed for the gift of faith for this uh, person. And then I was, I since I wasn't working full time, I was walking uh, in the neighborhood in the afternoon and ran into a neighbor and who I had not met yet. She recently moved into the neighborhood as a 72-year-old lady or so, and we were talking, and... Had the total opportunity to present the gospel to her, went over to her house, talked with her, and, uh, come to find out she didn't know the Lord and was like, oh my word, Lord, I was blown away, so I called my mom, and am like, mom, you just gotta rejoice in the Lord with me, this is so good. And so, it's just been, uh, a wonderful week, and I just look forward to how the Lord's gonna continue to open doors. That's always my prayer, it's like, Lord, how do you wanna continue to grow me as an evangelist? So, we'll see what he does.
0: Thank you. Yeah, we need to clap for the... <laughs> The Lord calls Marissa evangelist, whether she's on a plane headed to India or she's walking through her neighborhood in Grand Rapids. Church is those who have been set free, as those who are known and who are loved, as those who are heirs of Christ and His Spirit and His Kingdom. We always have the role of being chosen for his kingdom purposes. We always serve the purpose of embodying, proclaiming and advancing his kingdom on this earth. Sometimes that means we've been chosen to be mighty warriors of valor in a very specific battle. And sometimes it also means we've been chosen to be the gentle one, the patient one, the forgiving one, the self-controlled one, the one who points to Jesus, the one who speaks, the one who listens, the one who worships, the one who confronts, the one who repents, the one who laments, the one who defends, the one who watches, and the one who prays. Jesus was called a name and he was called the way, the truth, and the life. He was the way to the Father. He was the truth about our God in this world and the relationship that we live in with him. And he lived a life of purpose. And Jesus lives in each one of us. We have inherited his spirit and we have inherited his purposes. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I wonder how our lives would be impacted if we took the time to ask the Lord every day, what good works he's prepared in advance for us to live into. I wonder how our relationships with one another would be impacted if we knew that this was true for every person that we came across. Psalm 139 speaks to us of how God knit us together in our mother's womb and how he's ordained and numbered our days. He made us specifically and intimately for purpose. What would our obituaries read if we all really knew that? If we knew the love of the Lord and that he had intrinsically, beautifully, intimately knit us for his goodness. Romans eight twenty eight tells us that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. I wonder how much peace we would all experience if we could take God at His word. If we could trust that all His ways toward us are good and that all things work for His good purposes and for our good. I wonder if our faith would be fanned into flames. If we truly trusted that God would fulfill His purposes for us in His perfect timing never too soon, and never too late. We are not made to simply survive. We're not forsaken by God. We have not been left behind. We are chosen. We are handpicked for God's good plans and purposes, for his kingdom, and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you choose to live and work in us. God, and I thank you that you tell us that all your ways, all your plans, all your thoughts toward us are good. So Lord, as we... um sit with you this morning and later in this week, would you bring hope? Would you give us the gift of faith? And would you begin to stir in us and continue to stir in us the purposes that you have for us, what you've made us to do and who you've made us to be because you love us? Lord, would you stir each one of us to be mighty men and women of valor for your kingdom and for your glory. Amen.